Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now let's join the service already in progress. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Before I read this, can I make an appeal to you real quick? Uh, if you're here and you've served the Lord a long time, maybe you've heard a thousand messages in church, can you just kind of clear the, clear it all real quick? Just press reset. Sometimes we need to get a, a message from a fresh perspective. We don't need to go, oh man, I've heard that before. Or, oh, he's just talking about that. We just need something to hit us. Uh, I needed this when I was studying. I needed it to hit me. And uh, sometimes if we come in with that that perspective of, oh, I've heard Christmas messages before. What is he, when, what's he going to do this time? No, don't do that. Just press reset. Let the gospel affect you. Let the gospel overwhelm you today. Uh, let the hope of Jesus uh, start brand new today with you. Uh, rejuvenate your faith today. If you're not a person of faith, let your faith just be set on fire today. Just passionate uh, for God. Whatever you feel, that little spark in your heart, let it turn into an inferno today. Uh, let the word of God, the miracle of his word, uh, make something come alive in you this Christmas that has never come alive before, no matter who you are, what your relationship with God is like. Very careful that we just don't go through the motions and coming to church going, ah, I've heard this before, I've heard that before. We just sort of think we've arrived. We need to get shaken up sometimes, amen? We need to get shaken up. Today's a day that we all need to get shaken up. Okay, so 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who could John be talking about? That which was from the beginning. There's only one person that's ever lived that meets that criteria. His name happens to be Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was the Father and which was made manifest in us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want to talk to you today. Kind of brief idea, but the idea is this. How to receive a Christmas gift. How to receive a Christmas gift. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. Allow the word of God to transform our lives from the inside out as you do every single time. We ask you to do so. God, you let something happen in us. You change something in us supernaturally. But we approach it, Lord, with humble hearts. And we do that right now. It'll be able to be delivered in a way that honors you and received in a way that causes life change. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so who has been watching Christmas movies lately? Raise your hand if you've been watching Christmas movies. What are some of your favorite Christmas movies? The Grinch? Are you a Grinch? I mean, is it, are you like, is that just an excuse? No, I'm kidding. Is that, are you talking about the old one? Like the, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Okay. Uh, someone say over here, Home Alone? Yeah, Home Alone, classic. What else? Oh, Elf. There we go. Smiling is my favorite. The Nativity Story? I haven't seen that. Is that good? Is it good? What? Oh, Miracle on 34th Street? 
I can't believe nobody said die hard. <laughs> Let's go die hard. You know that's a Christmas at Nagatomi Plaza Christmas party, 1988. Let's go. Come on. Come on, die hard. That's a good Christmas movie. No, you named some really good ones. How about a Christmas story? Does anyone like a Christmas story? You don't like a Christmas story? Okay. I'm not going to unfriend you, but that hurts me. I almost bought a Fragile lamp. Okay, that's how lame I am. That's how bad I am. My wife was like, you can't have it. So uh, Christmas, Christmas movies are, are great. I, I think the, you know, probably one of the most famous Christmas stories, you know, was the night before Christmas, went all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Isn't that a great setup? That's a great setup for a story. I love good setups for stories. Um, most great stories in general have a good setup. When you hear a fairy tale, how do fairy tales typically start? Once upon a time. Who, who knows the exact line of the way Star Wars begins? How does Star Wars begin? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Got a nerd over here. Okay. Good job. Good job. I'm a fellow nerd as well. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's okay. You ever notice that when people call themselves nerds in current culture, they're actually complimenting themselves. They're like, oh, I'm a nerd. I stayed home and read A Tale of Two Cities last night. It's like that's, they don't say like, I'm a nerd. I stayed home and picked my nose all night. It's not like the things that like you typically would associate Anyways, I have no idea how I got to that point. But anyways, uh, once upon a time, long time ago, galaxy far, far away. These are, these are classic ways to start stories. Since it's Christmas time, who would like to hear the way that the Bible kicks off Jesus' story? Would you like to hear that today? Okay, so you got all these classic ways. And in, in literature, when you're writing the intro to a story, you want to hook someone, don't you? You, you want to get them excited. You want to get them interested. So you come up with the most interesting, if you're writing something literary, you want to get them involved as soon as possible. That's why I used to love watching James Bond movies with my dad when I was a kid. Because like most shows, you know, if there's mystery, it's like you see the building. It's like this is the place where they work. And you see them getting coffee. And then one guy, you know, has like a suspicious look. And you go, ooh, I wonder if he's the bad guy. And then later on, he does something bad. You're like, I knew he was the bad guy. And like it sets it up like that. Not a James Bond movie. Like it, it's like a black screen. It comes on. And a guy's like falling from an airplane with no parachute. And there are guys with machine guns that have no parachutes that are shooting at him. And he's like going through the club. Like it just draws you in instantly because the intro is so important to the story. So you guys ready for the intro? Okay, here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nalson, Nalson the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of 
of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihad, Abihad the father of Elikim, Elikim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Manahan, Manahan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Look at somebody next to you say, that's my once upon a time. Maybe not as concise. For those of you that missed it, here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. No, I'm kidding. Why would you write an intro to a story of this kind, the most important superhero story in the history of the universe? When you're doing the backstory, why would you write that? Why would you not come up with some gripping thing that everyone uses their mantra, they put it at the top of their Facebook page or stuff like that? Why would you not do something to hook people and to grip people? We're not talking about Frosty the Snowman here. We're not talking about Rudolph. No one's grandparent died by a flying caribou in this story. This is like a real, this is like a real thing. Why would you do it? Because it happened. The reason that you would start off the story of Jesus with that, no worries whatsoever that, you know, Matt, you know, because Matthew, this is the book of Matthew, you know, his friend reads, he goes, you know, Matt, let me tell you something, I'll be honest with you, I think your intro's off a little bit, I think you're going to lose some people. When you start getting into the Eleazar part, I mean, I just really kind of, I started drifting. There's no thought of that whatsoever. Why? This happened. God became a man. There is a history, there is a genealogy to who the person Jesus is, who he came through, who he came from, what, what, uh, what the call was on his life, the messianic calls of the Old Testament that are out there that people knew about. People knew who he was generationally. They knew he was coming. This happened. John, in the, in, in the text that I read you, 1 John chapter 1, it says, this which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched, our hands have touched it. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, the person that is Jesus. Bob Yarborough, a New Testament expert, when he's analyzing this particular passage, he says, this is not, in, his name is Robert Yarborough. He says, this is not a conversational tone that John is using here. He's not using the language that you talk to friends about because it, it sounds emotional. Oh, we've seen it. We've heard it. We've touched him. He's not appealing to your senses here. He says when you analyze what he is doing and you compare it to every document historically, he is using the language of the courts. He is using testimonial language on the level you would use one in a court deposition. John is saying, I promise you, Everything that I'm telling you about Jesus, the word of life, is true. That's why when we read 
The opening to this story, we don't find some fairy tale opening. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Jesus. And he was born in a manger on Christmas Day. And the wise men came from afar. It does, it's not laid out like that. See, this story of Christmas, the incarnation. What is the incarnation? It is God being born as a man through the person of Jesus. That's what the incarnation, that is the doctrine of the incarnation. The basic concept of, of that doctrine is that God becomes a man, takes human flesh, is born and becomes a man on earth through the person of Jesus. That doctrine is so important for us to believe to not categorize as one of these stories that floats around out there. Like, oh, the, I love the story of St. Nick. I love the story of Rudolph. I love the story of Jesus. We cannot put this in the category of these fable things that are out there. This is a part of history. This is something that actually happened. And it is really weird when you hear people say things like, well, I'm not sure if I really believe in the Incarnation." I'm not sure if I really believe in a literal resurrection. I've heard people say that before. They said, but Christianity's fine because the teachings of Jesus are great. You know, Sermon on the Mount, you know, all the love your neighbor stuff, golden rule. If you live by Judeo-Christian principles, you'll have a better life. I just kind of agree in general that it's not important whether the you know, incarnation happened or purported whether resurrection happened. My idea is uh, that's not necessary that all that happened. I just try to live a good life, the best life I can. I don't believe in doctrine. I just want to live the best life. Be very careful because you just created your own doctrine. The doctrine that all you have to do is just do the best you can, that's your doctrine, and you believe that doctrine more than you believe God's doctrine. And the scary part is we can write off things that are foundational to our own salvation by creating and just write it off as doctrine that is flexible, optional, but we don't realize by doing so, we're creating our own doctrine. And the scary part, you've created a doctrine and it's a scary one because the premise of your doctrine is based on the idea that the holy and just God of the universe is going to judge you someday by the standards that you have created instead of the standards that he created. It's paramount that we believe in the incarnation. It's paramount tomorrow night when we're in this room filling this place with Christmas carols and, and turning our attention toward heaven. It's paramount that our heart is enlarged and that we celebrate and we get joy and we get a smile on our face and we get excited about celebrating the incarnation. Why is it paramount? It's, it's paramount. Because it's, it's the foundation of what we believe. We find it in Genesis. In Genesis, immediately after the fall of man, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's talking about Jesus, the offspring of woman, will crush the enemy's head. So even in the midst of all that brokenness and fallen humanity, God is already speaking the promise of salvation through the person that is Jesus. In the book of Genesis, Isaiah chapter 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. My God. The, the virgin will 
conceive. Somebody say those words with me real quick. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. This is Old Testament. And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Are we truly celebrating Christmas this year with an awareness that Christmas is about God being born through a virgin? A virgin. I find it fascinating. I've had conversations with people that say, well, I'm not really sure that I can believe in Christianity. Why? Because the resurrection is implausible. I don't believe that it, the resurrection happened, and I don't believe it's possible. What I want to say is, if you're looking for something to doubt, <laughs> if you're a person that struggles with faith in general, and you would like to pick apart Christianity, you have chosen a very weak position to start with, if you are just giving us the idea, you're just going to concede the fact to Christians that God, the Alpha and the Omega, was born. Amen. Are we living our lives this Christmas with the kind of revelation of the incarnation going, oh, I can't believe this. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and hell and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, and wonders of his love, and wonders of his love. And wonders, wonders of his love. Come on, are we, are, we, are we really singing that? Going, God, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. God becoming a man and, and a baby. Are we living like we believe this? Are, are we living Christmas like we believe this? I mean, because the resurrection is incredible. But the resurrection doesn't happen without the incarnation. It doesn't happen without the incarnation. It's the greatest miracle in history. So John says, we've seen, we've heard it seen him we've touched him he's giving testimony like a deposition you remember the genealogy i read these are all factual sort of appeals that he's making to you he's saying guys please don't just get caught up in the emotion this is some real stuff and he says the life appeared the life 
Somebody say the life. Look at your neighbor. Say not a life. Come on, the life. He says the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Did you know every other religion? Go study them. Go buy a big book full of religions. If you want to, if you want to research them, you want to find the heart of what religions teach you, religions teach you the path to everlasting life. They teach you the path on how to find a fulfilling kind of life and how to ultimately find your destiny. That's what they all teach you. Christianity is the only one that does not do that at all. Jesus is not interested in teaching you how to find the path to life. It's the only one. And I'm telling you, it stands out. It's the only one where he doesn't say, I'm not interested. He says, I'm not interested in telling you the path to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. I'm not just going to resurrect. I am the resurrection. That baby Jesus, he is the life. He is the life. John 1, 14. I mean, John is just trying to tell you. He's just trying to say, guys, you have no idea. I mean, I knew him. I, it's, he's unbelievable. He's saying, the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. It, it, it's, a, it's incredible, the glory of God. We saw his glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And there are people out there that go, well, I don't really need to, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm more interested in God. That's like someone that says, well, I, I want to go outside and I want to stare, I want to look at the sun. I'm interested in the sun. Don't do that. You will fry your eyeballs. They will, they will, they'll be, you'll be blind for the rest of your life. If you try to look at the sun, Why? Why can't you look at the sun? It's too glorious. If you're ever going to see the sun, I mean, yeah, you might casually just, you see a brief image of it. You got that little, you, you, know, you just barely look at it. You look away, you can still see in your, you know what I'm saying? Like you still see the thing and you're, you're like, ah, you can't see anything. It's like a big dot. You know what I mean? When an eclipse takes place, the last time an eclipse happened, my family was able to see it. You know why? Because we had these stupid looking glasses on that we bought in a Walmart parking lot for like $40 each or something like the day before. You know how they price gouge on things? They did that to us and we bought them. But you can't really see anything. You can see just a kind of an outline of it. You're not really seeing it. It's a dumbed-down version of it. I remember when I was a kid, my teacher was like, we're going to do a, an eclipse experiment. It's going to be the funnest thing you ever done. Get yourself a cardboard box. I'm going to cut a hole in the front, and you're going to be able to see the sun on the cardboard box. You could use a cereal box if you like, kids. Let's go. Come on, they cut it out. I'm like, 
this is not fun. Like, this is like, it's like a, it's a box with a hole in it. You can barely see anything. It's sort of a, kind of an outline of it. I mean, if you're a science teacher, don't get mad at me. I'm just giving you an honest testimony of a kid who's like seven years old. The point is, why do you do all these things? Why do you pay the money? Because the sun is so glorious to even be able to kind of see. The only reason you're even, even able to look at it through those glasses is because there's an eclipse, and it's not the full radiance of the sun anyways. Because a God-created thing is so glorious that we can't behold it with our own eyes, how can we think we can behold his glory? If something that he has created is so glorious, we can't even look at it with our own eyes. In order to see the sun, you need a filter. And when John says, we have seen the glory of God, what is he saying? He's saying Jesus is God. But he is the filter by which we see God. Jesus is the filter by whom and by which we see God. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The way you see God is by seeing Jesus. So these men are testifying of Jesus personally, factually teaching us about Christmas about God becoming vulnerable. Why? Well, I read it in my opening text. Here's why. It says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write to make our joy complete. So why is he telling you all this? It happened. It's real. We saw him. We heard him. We saw his glory. We experienced him. The story of the baby in a manger. I knew his mom. She told me all about the story. I knew his dad. I know how the angels appeared. All, all this is true. It all actually happened. It's real. It's real. Why does he tell us all that? He tells us the answer. So that we can have fellowship. Those of you that are here today, those of you that are watching online, anyone that's within the sound of my voice, if you feel far from God today, if you're estranged from God, if you've been living a life that's separate from him, if you've been failing or making, up, making mistakes and just falling short of his glory in some way and you got your head down and saying, oh man, I haven't prayed, I haven't done enough, I haven't done John is saying, shh, come closer, come closer, come closer. The goal of all this, of me telling you about his glory and his goodness is not just so you can hear about it, but so you can come close to him and have fellowship closer today come closer have fellowship with him today see but to receive i called this message how to receive a christmas gift because that's really what he's talking about how do we come closer how do we receive it the only way to truly receive a gift is to humble yourself that's the only way you can receive a gift is to humble yourself when I was growing up, I had a particular aunt that gave me ugly sweaters every year. This is before ugly sweaters were cool. There was no such thing as an ugly sweater party. There were just ugly sweaters. And I had a lot of them. And there were times that she would say, Jeffrey, go try that on. And I would go, oh... Uncle Michael, this is not Aunt Mary Sue, believe me. She always bought me great, she always brought me great gifts. I promise. 
I'm at, Mary Sue was the bomb. She used to cook me all kind of stuff, and that's that really that's one of my favorites. So I remember going and trying on the sweater, and you come out, and you, you, you're... Oh, it's so cute. Thank you. Can I take it off now? To, tr <laughs> to, to, to truly, sorry, that's fine. To truly, to truly receive something, you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself. I mean, okay, can you imagine if someone this Christmas gives you a present, you unwrap it, and it's a book called Overcoming Selfishness. Thank you, Scott. I, I've been looking for something to read. I mean, just, I mean, I'm excited and everything, but is there a reason? I mean, like, is there a reason why you gave it to me or I'm just curious? But I mean, if, if you actually were, were to, you know, if you got that book and you go, whoa, oh, that hurts. But if I'm being honest with myself, I, I might need this. I might need this. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Shots fired, but I receive. I receive. I receive it. So, so you'd have to humble yourself to get something out of it, right? To, you have to humble yourself to receive any gift, to know that someone gave you something that is extravagant. In order to receive a gift with gratitude, you have to humble yourself. So here's the thing. What is this gift? This gift is a baby. That a baby is the difference in your whole world. Yeah. That a baby. And, and what's, what's phenomenal about this idea is that that's what this is all about. The incarnation is about this baby who represents hope. He represents salvation. And that's what is crazy about these wise men, the magi. We really don't know how many of them there were. But the Magi were very powerful men in Eastern culture. Some people called them kingmakers. Politically, they had massive influence over who would take thrones and super cultured, educated, just very genius kind of people. God appears to them, shows them where the Messiah is going to be born. And these guys go find this baby. And isn't it amazing that all of their culture, all of their intellect, all of their answers, in order to honor the king, they had to bow their lives. Not before the risen Savior. Not before the Jesus that comes back in the book of Revelation with a tattoo on his thigh, riding on a white horse with a sword in his hand. Not before that Jesus. Not before the Jesus that came out of the tomb or on the Mount of Transfiguration where his face was shining. 
That's not what Christmas offers us. That's not the gift. The Christmas gift is that all of our knowledge, all of our intellect, all of our wisdom is destroyed by a baby. And isn't it incredible that these magi brought this baby gifts of gold. Gold is a gift for a king. They recognized this baby will be my king. Frankincense is used by priests in preparing the temple. This baby is a priest. Do you know what myrrh is used for? Embalming. What a weird gift to give a baby. It's like going to your friend's baby shower. Guys, Olivia is so cute. We're thinking about what to get her. We decided on this. It's a bottle of formaldehyde. I hope she enjoys it. What a, what a wacky gift to give a baby. Unless... You realize that someday that king, that someday that priest would become the man that took your sins and took them to the cross and took them to the grave. And from that grave, he would rise again to take your sins and the sins of humanity. And the sins would remain in the grave, but he would rise as would your purpose and your destiny forever. What did they do? They bowed their knee to a baby. You can stand. Let's have, let's have everyone stand right now. That's an awesome moment. He said, what are you asking me to do? Kneel before a baby? Yeah. Yeah. That's what Christmas asks us to do. You ever held a baby? I mean, I'll never forget the first time I met my daughter. Destroyed. Destroyed me. I thought I was ready. I was 30. I'd read books. I'd had conversations. I thought I knew exactly what I was going to feel. Tears streamed down my face. I was so afraid that I was going to mess something up. Because she was so fragile. A baby messed me up. And that's what has to happen to you today. Baby's got to mess you up. And Jesus is the most wonderful gift that you could receive. Humble ourselves and accept that baby. So what I'd like to end with is this. He says, what we've seen and heard and we proclaim we do it so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed.
Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So I'd like to remind you of a couple of things in my message today. Number one, this happened. Number two, he is the life. Number three, Jesus is the filter by which we see God. Number four, we have to humble ourselves to receive this gift. Number five, once we humble ourselves, then we can have the fellowship that John was talking about. Number six, he says, we're writing these things to you so that you can have fellowship. So we have to tell others. It can't just be something that we keep to ourselves. He's saying, I have to tell you so I can get to the final one. He says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. If you're walking around and there's something missing this Christmas, it's that your joy is not complete because you haven't told somebody. It's time to take what's inside of you and to give it to people that are around you. You can't keep it to yourself anymore. It's got to be a joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. It's got to be coming from your heart everywhere, everywhere you go. It's got to be the posture of your life. How to receive a Christmas gift. You got to humble yourself. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.